Ceridian creates innovative technology that organizations around the world use to attract, develop, manage, and pay their people. Its award-winning day force solution helps customers manage compliance, make better decisions, build great teams, and drive engagement with their employees. Ceridian has solutions for organizations of all sizes. Ceridian makes work life better. For more information, visit www.ceridian.com. Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Big Ideas segment. Today we're going to be talking about surfing into a new life with George Anders. George writes for Forbes magazine and is the author of a new book called You Could Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. He writes frequently on issues related to talent, hiring, college to career pathway. In 97, while he was at the Wall Street Journal, he shared a Pulitzer Prize for national reporting. He's written four other books, including The Rare Find, How Great Talent Stands Out. George has become, over the, the recent past, the preeminent writer of of the stories of our industry, the rare find was about was about hunting for people, and this latest book is about what you do with a liberal arts education. Good morning, George. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Thanks for the chance to be on the show. Oh, it's it's nice to have you here. I believe again, and it's nice to hear your hear your voice. Um, so so tell me what I left out of the introduction. That's the that's the packaged introduction. How do you introduce yourself these days? So, you know, we always have to be situation appropriate. I've got a slightly different introduction depending on whether I'm talking to business groups, campus groups, um, radical fringe, the you know the the core center. But um, the the key messages of coming back to what is human talent? How do we make the most of it? How do we look for people in unexpected places? Uh, I think the, the more I can do to encourage people to widen their horizons, I, I just did a talk a, a week or two ago for a group of technologists in Silicon Valley and all from major well-established bedrock companies. And we spent a lot of time talking about why, even when you're working on a very technical project, it's helpful to have people with really different perspectives just alert you to, but what will the customers think? You know, what's our real market? Uh, how does this tie into not just the technical nature of a product, but how people are going to feel using it. So in a, in a way, I'm the, the constant evangelist for looking a little wider and taking a little bit more into your horizons. Uh, we work really hard at, at getting answers to questions. Sometimes we just need to think harder about asking the right questions. Sounds to me like you've taken on a role in some places of being the irritant that produces the pearl. The, the good-natured irritant. I mean, you, the, the, there's a rule for my journalist. <laughs> Good, good. There's a rule for my journalism days that the tougher the question, the nicer you have to ask it. So um, it, it's amazing what a, a little bit of good cheer can do to get provocative ideas under the rug and into the. Uh, into the oh, you, you know, there's some there's some folks who'll be listening to this for whom that's that's a good bit of insight. So so you've been poking around and digging into this this world that I inhabit in in HR and recruiting and and HR technology. Um, who do you think are the most important thinkers in the space? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I give Dan Pink a lot of room in the uh, Chapter 11 of the book. And you know, Dan, with his model of, um, 
autonomy, purpose, uh, mastery. I think that's just a touchstone. And anytime I'm talking to people about where are you in your career, and I, I get a fair number of people coming my way, um, that's a, a really good point to come back to. Uh, Lori Rudiman and I banter a whole lot. She's got a lot of interesting ideas, and uh, she calls the as well as anyone. So um, that's <laughs> when, when you get too fond of your own pitch deck, 20 minutes with Lori will get you back on the ground again. Uh, but, you know, if there are other you know, perspectives, I've, I've offered two, but we, we could um, you know, salute the field for a long time. Cool. And so how's the introduction of the book going? You, you, you published in July, right? Uh, August 8th was our official launch date. Oh, you know, really? Launch really? and everything so- else. Uh, it's going well. Uh, I'm getting a lot of invitations from campuses to come and talk. Uh, we did an excerpt in the Atlantic that has taken on a life of its own. Interestingly, that piece focused not so much on the traditional sense of liberal arts as a rich kid's degree, but looked instead at the way that first-generation students, um, underrepresented populations, are able to not just get the degree in psychology or sociology, but go on and build really interesting careers. And that's touched a core. You go back to just the literal term liberal arts that comes out of you know, ancient Rome and the sense of this is the education for the well-bred. And uh, that's been a, a little bit of a taint for a while. So the notion that these are skills that are valuable enough and uh, democratic enough that everyone in society can have a shot at them, uh, I think is an important message. And I highlighted some programs that work with uh, Latino and black students at Rutgers um, some pathways from community college to a really good career. And um, it, it's nice to widen the conversation beyond reality. My sense is that the, the conversation about liberal arts education always polarizes into the, the two camps with one with vocational education, technical education being something that is the is the object that education ought to serve and the other being well-roundedness being the object that, that education ought to serve. Um, did you draw a conclusion about being on one side of that or another in your work? Well, I'm furiously arguing for people to get to the middle that gives the best of both. And um, Adam Falk, the president of Williams, uh, talks up the T model where, yes, you've got that breadth, but in the center there's something that you're actually really good at. Uh, the other thing in, is that it's possible to get at least a partial education in both and to uh, to blend the two. So if you've done you know, the esoteric liberal arts track, you can pop into General Assembly or a whole bunch of the other uh, you know, skills in a hurry organizations and learn a little bit about design, learn a little bit about user experience. And there are good jobs for people who are creative thinkers and have just enough grounding in the technology to get that right. Uh, or coming at it from the other side, if you're a STEM major, it doesn't hurt to take a philosophy class or two or a history class or two. Uh, it was interesting. Just yesterday, I was um, uh, traveling with a, a friend's son who is a rising high school senior and very STEM-focused, but interested in uh, going to a university to broaden his mind a little bit. And his big focus is artificial intelligence, machine learning. He's an excellent coder. But I was making the case of, hey, take a philosophy class. If you're interested in how to make machines think, get familiar with what we know about how people think. You know, Go explore the world of epistemology. And you may find yourself working on a lot better projects over the next few years to have a deeper understanding of how we think. 
that's 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 great advice. Well, I, you know, my story is that is that I have the most liberal of a liberal arts education, and um, and and became a great engineer, and was a much better engineer because because I had the the liberal arts backing. I don't I don't think. I don't think it's easy to do that today because of the systems that believe that qualifications for jobs are precise. I think I think that did you did you talk about that in the book that that there's a hurdle if you've got a liberal arts education and you want to work in a tech, a technical environment there's a hurdle. There is and in fact I talk a lot about how to uh, dodge some of those barriers and the importance of uh, getting to know people in the field, and it gets called networking, but networking always feels like a rather cold term, and what you want to do is uh, make friends with people in an environment you like, and it becomes much more social and much less uh, transactional. But, uh, yeah, the, there's actually advice at some of the Big Ten schools, career centers now, if, if you're a liberal arts major, only spend 10% of your time sending out your resume, spend 30% of your time researching the fields you want to be in, and 60% of the time get of the people in that world as you can, because a lot of the most interesting jobs never get posted, uh, or they, they happen by osmosis, that you, you find someone, they think you've got interesting skills, you think they've got interesting projects, and you, you banter back and forth until you create a job out of nothing. So yes, trying to stand in line in the resume queue with a um, resume that says sociology or philosophy, uh, you're not going to get the hearing that you want. But the nice thing is a great deal of hiring gets done uh, outside of ATMs or, you know, gets moved into the ATM at the last moment just to get validated. But a lot of work is uh, ATS, I'm sorry. Uh, but a lot of the work has already been done on human-to-human contacts. And most liberal arts majors meet people well. They tell stories well. They draw analogies. They, they read the room. They understand the person. So the more that someone can do to you know, get into that Second channel, uh, I think, the better the, the prospects are. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. How do you how do you propose that people um, uh, expand the network? It, it, uh, you know, when you when you get online and you look, it seems like every possible job is there, and and I hear from a lot of people who are disheartened because. They can't find work that way, and so, so you're suggesting that there's a method uh, besides shipping your resume to a job board. Uh, but, but, but how does that actually work? So meetups are a great starting point, and in fact, my wife's company, EdSurge, runs a lot of meetups for people in education technology. And they get a bunch of teachers who are looking for the next adventure of their lives coming, and they get a bunch of fast-growing startups that need customer success people or need someone to, you know, help on the sales side, on the development side, on the you know, strategic planning, project management side. And they just, you know, over uh, a Costco plate of cheese and crackers, all start talking, and pretty soon they pair up. And that teacher who happens to run a website or a blog on the side, you know, talks to the person who's got a whole community that they're trying to reach with their product. And they realize, wow, we should be working together. And there's never a formal job spec because they don't actually know quite what the job is going to be. And there's never a formal resume because it's often the stuff on the back of your resume that's the most interesting credential. It doesn't matter what you were certified to teach in English. It matters with the side projects you did. And people find each other. 
So, um, you know, Silicon Valley is thick with meetups, and this ends up being the informal job market, uh, and that's great. Uh, we've got them in a lot of other areas as well. If you if you don't have that available, you certainly have your alumni directory, and you have um, your first and second order LinkedIn contacts. And I think used judiciously, you can build a lot of contacts that way. And in fact, there are specialty services that will just provide a uh, a current student alumni chat board for individual schools. People like to help. Uh, you know, there's something about being within the banner of having gone to the same school that, whether it's the you know the beer parties or the fight song or the you know brilliant prof or just the fact that you've got the sticker on the back of your car and you want to increase the credibility of that sticker. People will look out for alumni and uh, especially relatively recent graduates. And I think one of the the points I make in the book is that university development offices work too hard to get big checks out of the people who went to the school 30 years ago. And what you really want to do is get to know the people who graduated two years ago, learn their story, learn how they got into the institution that they're in, and see if they can help open the door. And that happens a lot. So, um, you know, meetups for face-to-face stuff, uh, working the alumni network first by email and then in-person meetings would be my two big ideas on this one. Got it. So, so help me understand a little bit more about the benefits of a liberal arts education, um, being able, being able to help at brainstorming and, um, and, and do sales and, and marketing jobs. That, that's not really the point of the book, is it? No, it isn't. And I'm, I'm trying to sort of provide easy pathways so that people can go, wow, I don't have a job I want. And I want this to be solved within three months. Um, so those, but there, there are much bigger ideas in the book, too. And I'm, I'm sorry, I got tactical when we could have been strategic. Oh, so, oh, 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 that's fine. Let's get strategic. Cool. Uh, so one of the things I do in the book is I uh, go through a great big pool of Indeed listings of jobs that ask for critical thinking, which is the all-encompassing label of what's good about liberal arts, and then pay more than $100,000 a year. And I go, okay, what exactly is it you're looking at? And I do a little uh, old-fashioned text analysis with my own eyes, and eventually this can be rerun on a better scale with um, a full-fledged computer sort. But for now, the key point, we've got five different things that uh, employers look for. Uh, The first is a willingness to try something new. Um, probably a lot of our listeners, you and I, feel very comfortable moving from area to area, but two-thirds of the American population does not. A lot of people just want to do the same old, same old, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of jobs that will let you do that, but um, when employers start new projects, we need people who like new projects, or when there's a cycle of many new projects, you need people who can move from project to project. Liberal arts tend to be good at getting people to do that. Um, we get to two more. One is the ability to have just really strong analytical skills. And that's not unique to the liberal arts. A business degree can get you there. An engineering degree can get you there. But uh, it is one of the reasons why employers will be more comfortable with a really sharp generalist coming out of college than a specialist who's, um, who doesn't have that ability to dig deep. Uh, the ability to synthesize conclusions, particularly in murky areas, uh, a lot of business and engineering training, you have known unknowns. Uh, when you have unknown unknowns, you need people who are comfortable in that world. And there's something about you know, a history education, a classics education, uh, and sociology, other fields where 
you've got to get your arms around really big trees, and your arms are actually not going to get all the way around them. And you need to still figure out how to make progress. So that can be very useful in the business setting. And then the two really big payoffs at the end are understanding other people's points of view. And boy, if you're trying to bring a team toward consensus, you can't just shout your own points louder and louder. That actually doesn't help you get to the right position, even if you're sure you're right. You need to figure out other people's value systems and maybe they're responding to factors that don't matter to you, but matter to them. And uh, that's why a lot of um, senior leadership positions end up in the hands of people who are not specialists, but they're emotionally attuned generalists. And those are the people who can run the whole project, even if they might not necessarily be the people who would be the best on the details. And then the last is the ability to persuade people. And we mistakenly label this good communication skills, which shortchanges it. I mean, Taylor Swift has good communication skills. Um, John Rehnquist, or um, sorry, uh, John Roberts has good communication skills. I mean, it's, it's so sprawling that that doesn't help you. But what I got interested in was people who can um, bring the crowd to another point of view, who know how to appeal to people's emotions as well as their intellects, who know how to build bridges, tell stories. And um, I'm not sure you get that in technical fields. You, get, you learn how to explain your position. You don't learn how to win the crowd. Uh, so those would be five reasons to hire for people with a liberal arts background and to sometimes put them in the kinds of jobs that uh, take a little bit of ingenuity even to figure out, wow, this is what we need, and here's the person who can do it. Tell me, what, tell me the range of things that, that, that you think are, are – liberal arts and, and how you define the edge between liberal arts and non-liberal arts areas. So this does get to be a challenge because we've got multiple definitions circulating. Uh, so what I ended up doing was saying, I'm basically writing about the humanities and social sciences. Now, if you roll the clock back 50 years before we had so much discussion of STEM, so sort of central area, science, technology, engineering, and math, there was a time where when you said liberal arts, you were also including physics and astronomy, um, chemistry, biology. And uh, you know, you'll still find schools where it's the College of Arts and Sciences, which you know, blurs that, that boundary a little bit. But I think the, the STEM community has become well enough developed and paired engineering with physics paired um, you know, math and uh, technology fields together, and that uh, I think it's better to treat STEM as separate from what I would think of as core liberal arts, which are going to seminars, reading a lot of books, uh, talking about big ideas, and um, being a little bit removed from the immediacy of what are my vocational skills and how am I going to get my first job. So, so, so boundary studies, which which I think gets into areas that 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 are near and dear to you. Boundary studies might look like filmmaking and journalism. Um, where where would you put them on the spectrum? So I left out journalism in this one because I think of it as a vocational degree. I mean, it has the disadvantage of being a vocational degree for a vocation that barely exists anymore. But um, I took a few journalism classes back in the day, and I found they were very tactical, very much here's how to organize a, a short story, here's how to cover a meeting. And in fact, I tell the story in chapter one that 
when I decided to migrate my own career from doing short journalistic pieces to books, the college class that came back to my mind to the largest degree had nothing to do with journalism. It was a you know, intensive upper level class on Dostoevsky that I wandered into as a freshman and uh, felt being thrown into the deep end of the pool. And the reason <laughs> that's relevant to doing books is this was my first encounter with far too much material that you'd, before you'd ever master. And you had to learn how to sort of selectively pick out the high points and build them into a thesis that was provocative enough to be interesting and sane enough to be defensible. And uh, anytime I'm doing a big project, the memory of that class comes back a lot more vividly than some of the mechanical stuff in the journalism classes. Now, that said, you need to learn the the moment-to-moment techniques, and that's valuable. But, um, you know, for that reason, I, I actually think the... Uh, the Slavic literature people are more in step with what I, I wrote the book about uh, than people who are trying to learn how to, you know, splice and edit a five-minute uh, audio interview. That's that's interesting. So is is that a reasonable model for what you think of as liberal arts? That it is a a subject area that is so vast that you have to use your wits to organize it. You know, I love that. You will, will in, in addition to, we'll, we'll sort of tighten up a whole lot of wording there, and then we'll just use your definition. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that gets at that gets at the key idea. That's good. That's great. So, so do you do you go as far into the educational process as what it's like to learn how to do that? I do a little bit. I mean, I if you're writing about the college to career pathway, there's so much that's both exciting and new and changeable on the career piece. And there is a long, long pool of people who write about how to reform education, and many of them have PhD after their name, which I do not. Uh, Many of them have established their pedagogy credentials over decades. And uh, I offer a few thoughts about education, but I felt that um, you you brought up boundary studies. I felt I'm most useful working writing about the boundary between two fields. So yeah, we can we can go chat about what they're doing on the campuses, but with the, the uh, caveat that this is five to ten percent of what I focused on for the book. But it, it's an yeah. interesting five percent. Yeah. So, so I, I really meant more like the experience of learning. So, so we were talking briefly before the before the show about. Uh, a project that I'm working on where where I have so much input at this point that that I'm I'm at the stage where it feels like drowning and this the stage where it feels like drowning always precedes um some next thing maybe it's finding a piece of driftwood to hang on to for a moment in the in the in the ocean of ideas but but I was wondering if there are good descriptions in your work about that fundamental skill, which is, which is deep immersion followed by the delivery of a conclusion. Uh, so Angela Duckworth, the University of Pennsylvania researcher, she's well known for her book, Grit. She will reinforce your point big time. And in fact, she says what we lose sight of is when learning is most intense, it feels confusing. And you have to get at peace with the sense that as new knowledge is coming into your awareness at a rapid rate, there are not aha moments. There isn't this, you know, light bulb going off. And for some reason, we apologize that, and that's actually not how learning feels. 
learning uh, you're uprooting things that you used to think were true and now you're realizing they're more complex and they fit together in different ways. You're, you're taking in new facts. Um, so yeah, I end up, you know, there's a brief section that quotes uh, one classic student embarking on her first big piece and just, you know, it's almost like being really stretched in a physical workout that you, you, you're sort of feeling that your points are being pulled in new ways. And intellectually, in a way, that is what's happening. Your, your neurons are learning to fit together in a, a different way than they did before, and that's a lot of moving and shuffling. But uh, I think that sense of reward at the end of it, that you've, you've gained a new skill, you've got deeper understanding, and that ability to work through the hard stuff is really valuable. I think it's, it's my sense that early in a career, it's really hard to articulate that value. It's, it's, it's great for old people to sit around and go, yeah, this is how that works. But if you, if you are uh, fresh off the bus with a, a, a nicely scrubbed college degree in your hand, or you are in your second or third job after having the college degree in your hand, being able to claim that you don't drown when you're thrown in the water, um, um, it's a hard thing to wedge into an interview when you're talking to people about a job. So this is one of the reasons why I, I talk up the importance of getting to the meetups, striking up the semi-social, semi-professional conversation, because that's where you can do that. And actually, I do tell the story at length of a international relations major who was a year out of school and still hadn't found the right job and was doing a bunch of patchwork stuff. And she ended up at WikiHow, which wanted to globalize its site and you know, establish Spanish language and Dutch language and all the like. And actually, in, I reconstruct her interview. I went through it with her. I went through it with the people on the other side of the table. And they said, you know, describe some situation where you showed initiative, which is a classic sort of bland but potentially promising uh, interview question. And she starts in on being in Indonesia for vacation and wanting to do a documentary about the coral reefs and not knowing Indonesian and learning this one phrase, which is basically tell me about the coral reefs and going up and interviewing people and getting them to talk in Indonesian. And she had no idea what her, their responses meant, but she took them back home and got them you know, interpreted and transcribed and discovered that she had created a pretty good documentary. And what they liked was this plucky sense of here's someone who is uh, one, looking to build out a project in an unexpected setting, two, showing up with inadequate skills, and three, figuring out how to get the job done, even though the skills temporarily are inadequate, but coming up with a patch that, that lets you go forward. And they basically said, we've got lots of opportunities like that. I mean, there's no one who's going to know every language that we want to be in. You need to be effective working in languages that you don't know, and you need to have this energy to take on challenges one after another um, beyond whatever is uh, on your official checklist. So they hired her and she ended up doing an absolutely great job. But there you've got a fairly progressive employer that's looking for someone like that. You've got the opening entry point, which is the tell me a time you showed initiative question. And then you've got both a, uh, a student who's bright enough to come up with a, a memorable answer and an employer who's um, ready to look for it. So it can be done. Uh, I'd like to see that happen more often in formal interviews, but uh, I do believe that some of the uh, ability to chat people up, get to know them before the job is posted, will save you the agony of trying to you know, put the right thing on a one-page resume that will you know, pop up in the ATS and go, oh, this is a person who can 
thrive in chaos. And we, you're right, we don't have a three-word way of expressing thrive in chaos that will get you through a job screen. Uh, and for the time being, I'm trying to offer people as many other ways of getting recognized for that if they can uh, without having to end a line on the resume queue. Man, I could talk with you about this all day, but we have uh, come to the end of our time together. Is there anything you want to make sure the audience takes away? So what can I say? I'm an author, so I need to let you know the book is called You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. If you want to learn more without paying a penny, go to www.georgeandersbooks.com and you'll uh, see some reviews and some summary material. Uh, if you're interested in the book, I'm thrilled. Uh, if this show has already given you everything you need, that's great, too. <laughs> well, thanks, George. It's been great having you on. Um, and, and let's do it again. Fantastic. Enjoy the conversation. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Big Ideas, and we've been talking with George Anders, who is the author of You Can Do Anything, The Surprising Power of a Useless Liberal Arts Education. It's loping up the lists on Amazon as we speak. Thanks again, George. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Bye-bye now. Thank you.